0: The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of our God will stand forever. We read today, again, a portion of the text that we're looking at uh, this month on um, adventure versus anxiety. And this time it comes from uh, 1 Samuel 17, uh, 20 through 31. Listen to God's word for you. David rose early in the morning. He left his a sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went with Jesse, his father, as he had commanded him. He came to the encampment of the army as it was going forth into the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, a Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before and David heard him. All the Israelites, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. The Israelites said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. The king will greatly enrich the man who kills him and will give him his daughter and make his family free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? But the people answered him in the same way, and so shall it be done for the man who kills him. His eldest brother Eliab heard him talking to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down just to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? It was only a question. He turned away from him and toward another and spoke in the same way. And those people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. The word of the Lord. Now, when we're engaged in a mission on behalf of someone else, we need to know always and keep in mind for whom we are doing this, even if we don't always know why. In my perspective, adventure and anxiety, or at least anxiousness, often go hand in hand and not as opposites. Our passage this morning revisits the story of the young David embarking on the adventure of his life. It will reveal the competing voices and influences that might well have distracted him from achieving his objective. But for David, the experience was life-changing. Now you likely may have such a story in your past. Let me share one from my life which resonates with me. When I was about uh, 12 and living with my family in the heart of Los Angeles, near Wilshire Boulevard and Vermont Avenue, for those of you who may be exiles from California, (laughs) uh, I received a bicycle uh, and it was wonderful and I was riding around the neighborhood all the time. One Saturday, my father asked me if I would deliver a, a, a check paying a bill, to a a business in Eagle Rock, uh, the community now part of the Megopolis, about eight miles away. The route lay on busy multi-lane streets with uh, streetcars, remember those? (laughs) Uh, Many stoplights and left and right turns, no bike lanes. Naturally, I was a little scared more than a little scared and my mother was naturally anxious. But my father knew I could do it or so he said and understood that uh, uh, completing this assignment would build confidence in me. You may have heard that rationalization before (laughs) yourself. But task uh, uh, completed I returned home exhausted but very pleased. My dad was right. I learned some important lessons. And so I can empathize with David, starting out on his mission. But I wonder if his mother, as mine, had some misgivings. In our case this morning, the aging Jesse sends provisions. Whole grain cereal, bread, and also cheese for the company commander. It didn't take as much to impress a company commander back then. And with his youngest son, the shepherd lad David, who was sent out for the battlefield some uh, 15 miles distant. There the Israelite and the Philistine armies faced each other on opposing hills. Greeting his brothers, he heard Goliath utter his challenge that he delivered morning after morning. It went like this. Why have you come out drawn for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may uh, fight together. Forty days and forty nights this uh, challenge was offered. Now Goliath was a fearsome character, uh, perhaps nine feet tall. There are estimates, as Thomas told us a couple weeks ago, of. 8 to 10 feet, uh, who knows for sure, but he was impressive. Would have made an, NBR, an NB, NBA draft, I'm sure. Um, he had a, 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 a coat of mail, which weighed about 125 pounds, and a spearhead alone, which, which weighed uh, the, uh, the 15 pounds, as well as a helper who preceded him carrying additional armor the soldiers expressed their fear and explained the significance of the daring challenge and although of the king's promised rewards in credulous that this threatening challenge was going unanswered day after day David expresses holy outrage perhaps a little too publicly as it turns out His eldest brother, Eliab, who possibly harbored a grudge for not being anointed king as the oldest son instead of the youngest one, uh, smoldered at his little brother's brash courage among the, the seasoned fighters. He accused David of just coming to be a spectator and offered a gratuitous comment, as we heard. David was affronted. What have I done? It was only a question. He he spoke with others about the the dilemma and the word went on to King Saul. Now you know how the story ends from last week's uh, sermon or from your memories from uh, Sunday school. But our passage suggests that David must have had several voices ringing in his head. His father had sent him on a exciting if dangerous mission, and had entrusted him with uh, bringing uh, cereal and the making for cheese sandwiches to his brothers. David's father had placed confidence in him. I'm sure he wanted to please him. David uh, greeted his brothers other voices, who were in no mood for pleasantries, as it turns out, as Goliath was making his daily challenge. And David saw that they and the entire Israelite army feared for their lives. They were, as we used to say, scared spitless. (laughs) King Saul, realizing the gravity of the situation, promised whomever took up the challenge and prevailed riches the king's daughter in marriage and freedom from uh, taxes. Uh, The NIV says uh, freedom from taxes. uh, An especially appealing prospect for for those of us who are promoting lower taxes, if any at all, in our society, but enough of that. Uh, David must have understood this attractive and luring offer, and it was ringing in his ears. Eliab, the elder brother, tries to belittle and shame his little brother. David was mystified and unrelenting, however, in wondering how and why this situation continued and was getting the same answers to his questions from everyone. So as the shepherd boy weighs into the situation, hearing Goliath's challenge, he must have been torn. He wanted to please his father, to respond to the, uh, the plight of the army, to grasp what the king was offering as a reward, and to counter the sarcastic and withering assumptions of his elder brother. Yet, and yet, David perceives uh, clearly that Goliath's challenge is a spiritual one as well as a physical one. Why should anyone defy the living God of Israel without paying the consequences? Who is standing up for God here? Others could tremble and the quake, but David wonders why this is, and what can be done about it? His zeal, you see, is for God's honor, God's name and God's standing. His perspective is a godly one, and he is guided by and acts from a holy sense of adventure rather than the debilitating paralysis, of anxiety. He grasps, sure enough, the risky nature of the mission his father had entrusted to him, but he is not frightened by the attitude of his brothers and their army buddies. He's not seduced by the material promises of the king, and he does not cave in to the ridicule of Eliab, his eldest brother. His steadfast trust is in the proven faithfulness of God. And that would give him ample material for the Psalms he would write later. So what about you? And what about me? What about us? Can we find ourselves in this text anywhere? What could possibly be relevant to us this morning in this story often told to children as an incredulous incredul- in- uh, a, 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 a sort of religious fairy tale? You know, something like Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, we all have many voices calling out to us, each one of us. The question is, whose voice in our lives are we listening to? What voices will distract us uh, from concern for God's uh, glory? Are we trying to please our families, our parents, spouses, children, significant others? Are we captives of their fears, frustrations, and defeats? Are we lured or seduced by the promises of money, sex, and power, the lures of the world that Tim Keller writes so eloquently about? Are we ashamed of and stymied by the misunderstandings that those closest to us hold against us? In the end, none of these voices that call us can compare with our calling to respond to the one who deserves everything we have. All these other voices blunt and dampen our zeal and commitment to God's purposes, to what God is calling us, you and me, to do with the gifts he has given us. So are God's name, honor, and purposes uppermost in our lives? How do we respond when God is mocked in our society, in our workplaces, in our social groups, among our acquaintances, and maybe even in our own families? When and how do we encounter those who defy God and God's purposes, whether overtly or subtly, in a group or one-on-one. We may not metaphorically uh, sling a stone and hit the bullseye, at least not every time, but how do we respond in our offices, our businesses, our social uh, clubs, and our neighborhoods? Beyond the church, my laboratory for experiencing God's Grace uh, for 50 years was in the academic world. Not, not usually considered a place where God's purposes are with, uh, foremost. Don't take a lot of priority. And yet, in that very environment, opportunities abound to uh, sh- simply show up and say a word for God in an appropriate way. And not let those who defy God always get away unchallenged. Sure, we did not win every battle. But some of our stories are told in this little volume. The, the truth that makes them free. Found in our church library. Um, I urge you to read it if you're, if you're interested in. a, a Several person story of God's grace in the academic world at UT right down the street. You see, in the end, we ultimately serve and we please the one who loves us and gave his son for our salvation and reconciliation. We don't live to uh, to satisfy the desires of others, either their approval or their disapproval because this leads only to the anxiety of the perpetually other directed uh, person, a path that ends most often in disappointment and despair. Rather, as Tom Brown often reminds the choir and all of us, we play not primarily to the crowd, but to an audience of one, the only one who merits our complete surrender and commitment. And it's this one who invites you this morning to acknowledge that need in your life and respond with your heart. And by joining other redeemed sinners at this table in a moment and partaking of these gifts as means of of grace to each of us, we once again, and maybe for the first time, Yield our wills and our lives uh, uh, to God alone. May it be so. To God be the glory. Alleluia. Amen.